Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Car Fiction for the Love of Cars podcast, or as we like to call it, Footlock. These will be the kind of episodes that we're cramming in between the major episodes where we can focus in a little bit more deeply on one or two topics. And in this case, we're going to be talking about the McLaren Senna, uh, the Aston Martin uh, DBS and uh, Pike's Peak. Uh, but to do that, I need someone to talk to. And here I have... <laughs> As per usual, Mr. Henry Catchpole. You're not just a man sitting in a room talking to himself. <laughs> For once, yes. For once, I actually have someone with me. Um, and we are going to come to all of those very, very shortly. First, um, I want to say thank you for finding the Car Fiction podcast. This is not a an extended edition of something that went out on YouTube or anything else. This is uniquely being recorded for the podcast. And if you are listening to it, thank you very much for finding it. We're, uh, we're hoping we can find uh, an extra audience out in the world of podcasts. So thank you very much for downloading this and hopefully you're subscribed. And please spread the gospel if you do enjoy it. Uh, if you have just stumbled upon us out of nowhere, Carfection is the world's leading proprietor of uh, quality online automotive features and storytelling and journalism and you can find us at carfection.com and everywhere else you might find video including youtube instagram facebook twitter whatnot search for us everywhere you can under carfection but you say, you say good use of what not there what's um, not that's that's really good well i think it's kind of trying to project this notion of quality that also extends to our vocabulary Yes. Yes. Yeah, Unfortunately, yeah. not to my grammar. I'm still working on that. Yeah, something called the, the what not shelves. The what not what shelves. Not shelves. Yes. Apparently, we also used to have them at home. What well, um, shelves so. with what not on it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. I think I've got I've got drawers of what not, like the drawer you pull open, and what it's not always drawers. Yeah. always where you find the thing, like the key for the shed. This or is this got way off track already. We have already got track. <laughs> <laughs> to get back on topic. This is an automotive podcast. Um, uh, Mr. Henry Catchpole, who, if you want to follow uh, on all of the grams and twits, is at Henry Catchpole. Yeah, nice and simple. Nice and simple, if you can spell Catchpole, which Indeed. I'm pretty sure people can. Um, you have been out and you have driven uh, one of a select group. There's been a few people out driving yeah. it, but probably one of the only people I would trust to give me decent driving <laughs> impressions of the car the mclaren senna so for the uninitiated can you describe to the listeners exactly what the senna is for mclaren so the senna is sits in their ultimate series basically so where the p1 was before uh, and the p1 gtr but now they're for this sort of second generation of ultimate cars they're splitting them into two so the Senna is the first of those, and it's the more track-focused, much more track-focused um, iteration. We've got the BP23 coming, I think, later this year, next year, something like that, which will be the three-seater, but we much more of a sort of a still mid-engine but super GT thing with the three-seater arrangement, sort of harking back to the McLaren F1. Um, so the Senna is, is, is much more of a, a track-focused thing, as you can see when you look at it, because the styling is, well, some people are going ugly. I'm, I'm going brutal, and it does look better. The more I see it, the better it gets. And certainly when you see it moving and you see it at the track, it looks an awful lot better. Well, so. this is it. Like Once you see it moving, you're you get a completely different experience. We experience cars always static at trade shows first mm. and in stills. But when you see a car in motion, you're seeing as a, as a blur, as a silhouette, as a kind yeah. of a suggestion of a shape. And from that point of view, it does suggest speed. Yeah, it just works. Well. It's quite a large car, actually, when you walk up to it in, in the pit lane. It's because it's got all the, the overhangs and everything like that. So, um, yeah, that was something I hadn't necessarily appreciated, I think, seeing it alone in a studio before. But... Uh, 
So this is, as I say, this is the more track focus with the more GT car, more road focus version coming later in the year. Yeah. So this has what before you got into it, what were you thinking it would compare to in terms of cars that are out there that you may have driven already? Wow. Um, I suppose I was I was mentally building it up uh, along the lines of the sort of the P1 GTR, the Vulcan, the sort of the the really track focused sort of you know this, this is. Senna's limited in numbers, so it's only they're only building 500, which is obviously still quite a large number compared to sort of the Vulcan and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, apart from that, I wasn't really sure. Sort of, it was it was hard to know just how the numbers were going to sort of translate to the car. And I asked a few people about this before, and you know, how should I approach the video? What do we think we were going to do with it? What was, and it was just really hard to know because until you know what it, how it drives, you don't mm. know what the character of the car actually is you, you can read all the numbers and you read the numbers like you know 800 kilos of downforce at 155 miles an hour which instantly obviously it, it, they bleed off the downforce above 155 miles an hour because uh, it'll hit 200 and something 211 i think miles an hour uh flat out but they don't want more than that because otherwise it would become imbalanced basically so more than that speed wise or more than that downforce wise uh so at the greatest speed obviously um you know the the but the aero balance would become they, they can't keep it balanced aero wise i think basically so i right. think they're bleeding the aero presumably off the rear wing um because yeah they don't want it to they can't generate the downforce at the front of the car to match, oh, to the, match, match it the so rear, basically oh, okay. you see what i mean so it was, a, it was a point that actually um uh got brought up in your uh chiron video mm. uh we're talking about the engineering with andy about the the um Andy Wallace, the legendary racer, king of speed as he is, <laughs> yeah. talking about Dan's force not being this magical force, that it has to be balanced, that you can't just put yeah. it all in one place. Yeah, so yeah. that makes sense. So the front can't generate, they can't balance what the rear can generate at the front at the top speed. So Yeah, which is generally up. the sort of, you know, if you look at the GT3 uh, or GT3 RS in particular, which obviously got the, in this well, first generation GT3 RS 991, and it had those vents over the wheel arches, um, which is essentially to mean that they can get rid of the high pressure in the wheel arches, which means you can get more downforce over the front, which means you can raise the rear wing and you can add more down because they couldn't, if they couldn't do that, they couldn't add more downforce at the rear mm. because it'd just be completely, as I say, imbalanced um, and you'd basically end up with an understeering mess pretty much because you wouldn't have enough downforce at the front to, to counteract the, the rear that was the problem they had on the Countach when they added the wing <laughs> which pretty much did nothing except press down on the rear and pull the front up and make it un, un <laughs> which as far as speed. i know because um harry metcalf used to or still does own one and had the wing on it but then actually discovered that the wing was i think it was was it wolf racing that actually first added them and it, it was basically it was an add-on part it didn't come out of the factory line, despite the fact that the athena poster one had Really, that yeah. wasn't a factory it, I, I option. Don't, I don't think it was. Exactly. Well, it certainly didn't come as standard. No. It might have come as an option from the factory, but it certainly wasn't standard. I'm sure. I'm. I I don't know. I'm 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 maybe guessing here, but I thought that the anniversary edition and the like the 5000 QV definitely did have it standard as a wing. In fact, there was a point at which I don't think you could get it without a wing anymore. Mm. Towards the end, when it had yeah, all the kind of Horacio Pagani bodywork yeah. bolted on, that was 
almost all for show. Some of it was to accommodate the change in engine. Anyway, we're getting off topic because we're <laughs> we're talking about the Kuntash, and I could rattle on about that for ages. So the um, the aero, uh, the downforce is interesting because 800 kilos is a lot. It's a big chunk of the weight of the car, yeah. but it's all active aero as well. So it's yeah. not not racing car spec fixed wings. These are even beyond like the DRS system of a, of a Formula One car. This is very smart. Yeah, this is so the they've they've made it even more active than it was on the the P1. So the P1 um, obviously had a DRS system, uh, but you had to activate it generally via the button on the on the steering wheel, which to be honest, it's going to take you quite a long time to build up the courage to think at that point, blimey, I'm accelerating so quickly. Let's have some more acceleration by pressing this button here. It's like a NOS switch. Sort of, yeah. yeah. Um, so this is all completely active. You don't have to think about it. And it's very clever to that extent in terms of you just, you don't, you really don't think about it. So in things like um, with a, generally with a, a car with a lot of aero, particularly under braking, what you have to do is you smash the brake pedal as hard as you can when you first get onto it. But then as the aero, as the downforce comes off, you then generally have to back off the brakes slightly so that you're not, um, otherwise you'll you'll lock up basically. Um, and things like that are managed really by the, by the center's computer systems. And the other thing is that you don't, it feels it doesn't feel as sort of it feels very drivable when there's not the downforce there or you don't feel the downforce as a sort of something you're having to work around um you just notice that through the quick corner so turn five at esteril which is on the sort of the back straight is effectively a, a sort of kink um and that's that's flat out but it just feels really stable it doesn't feel scary in the way that downforce i think that is sometimes a, there's a really can, fast so. corner as well mm. that's a fun one to take mm. at speed because it's, it's a bit quite blind going around it as mm. well as, yeah. your, as your approach you can't see the exit of yeah. the turn at all yeah, so you have to get the turning point sort of right yeah um but uh it's yeah it, it the downforce does seem to it's something the whole car a lot of it you, you really don't think about these things working it's the same with so many of these cars these days it's the same with the 812 ferrari that it's got so many systems on it. You sit through these um, presentations beforehand from... So many um, presentations. Exactly, so many presentations. And Ferrari's ones are particularly long, actually very good in terms of they do tell you a lot of detail, which I which I love. Um, but you end up looking at this car, and we talked about approaching it, how do you approach it? And you, you just have all these numbers swimming around your mm. head and all this amount of downforce and this power and then the so suspension system that you get to. And you think, how on earth is it? And it's all active, and you think yeah. these things going on, and this car looks fantastically complicated in your head. And then you drive it, and actually you don't, you know, the very best ones, you just don't feel any of these working, and the car feels completely natural, and it's all going on somewhere in the background either that or it's the emperor's new clothes and none of it's actually working and it's just a, a, a very good basic car but do you know what i mean it's, yeah it's, uh, no i i i i the intimidation factor is is great i mean those numbers we, we've talked about them but let's, let's kind of list them off so it's 800 horsepower so it's yeah so 789 789 british horsepowers uh, 800 newton meters of torque. What does yes. that translate to? Oh, jeepers, right? I'm gonna have to get my phone out. <laughs> now, so, so I, 800. I can do the calculation, but it's just I just need a calculator to do it. So, um, uh, 800 divided by 1.356 equals 590 pounds for the torque, or foot pounds, torque. Quite so, yeah. a substantial amount. Yeah. Uh, zero to 60 time uh, is two point. What was it? 
2.7 seconds, I think. It's so, remarkable that how yeah. quickly, just in even in the time that I've been working on cars, how even stuff in the three is now considered to be quite high. Yeah, exactly. And like you're now talking a minimum of 2.9, you need to be quicker than that really yeah. to even register on people's radars, yeah. which is preposterous. Yeah. I remember the first time I did a launch 0 to 60 in less than 2.9, and it blew my mind, and I yeah. was in a GTR. And now cars eat that for breakfast. Yeah, And um, the, I mean, the, the big one is it'll do naught to 186 miles an hour, which is 300 clicks uh, in 18.8 seconds. Which is did uh, the front the home straight at Estoril? Is that uh, what was the top speed you managed to get up to on that? In the uh, to be perfectly honest, I wasn't looking at the speed that close. I sort of was, you can see in the film. I'm counting off some of them, and I they were saying it was it was north of two ninety kilometers an hour. Um, certainly, when you got the when you built up to actually hitting the brakes as late as you could, which was beyond the two hundred meter marker. Um, uh, yeah, you, you were over. So you you homing in on 300 kilometers an hour basically it, it's worth mentioning as well that you, there's plenty of videos online including one from us where someone will do 300 clicks on the autobahn as you did recently mm. um and that is achievable when you have several miles of straight road mm. ahead of you but the ability to get up to that speed and then down from it because yeah. it's a downhill braking zone into a relatively tight second yeah, gear second corner yeah. at Estoril. um that requires some bravery. Talk, talk to me a bit about the brakes because you seemed very enamored with them in the video. Yeah, yeah, the brakes were the the standout uh, control weighting facet um, aspect of the car, basically. That um, will that's the thing that I'll think about when I when I think of Senna and somebody says, "What's that like?" The first thing I want to talk about is the brakes because we so we did laps in the 720s first, um, and then you get in the Senna. In some ways, the Senna was. As you roll out of the pits, the steering feels very light, um, and actually didn't feel sort of as I was expecting more sort of feedback through the steering. Certainly initially, to have it sort of just that, that grittier feel that you get from um, some cars, but but not a bit of it. It was really it was a doddle. And when I was doing photography stuff in the pit lane, sort of turning it around and things like that, mm -hmm. absolute piece of cake. You know, it was really not a sort of recalcitrant race car with a sort of you know juddery clutch or anything like that because you've just got the two pedals and the um, you know, normal gearbox really. So, but then you get out on the track, and the first time you went to really break for me was the the right hand, the sort of hairpin that goes uphill at Estoril. So it'd be turn three, I suppose. Um, and that, and I, you know, basically completely miss the apex because you you go for the brake and it's really firm, and you it's, it's a bit like if you get into a car that's got unassisted brakes for the first time, yeah, and you suddenly think, oh, these aren't working. It's not working. It's just a solid pedal. Is 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 block of wood underneath them or something like that and you really have to lean on them um and get them up to temperature really to to get them mm. to to work um although curiously they because they're the new brakes they will run i think it's 150 degrees cooler um than a p1's akabona brakes which have those amazing mirror finish on them yeah um, these don't have that they're a different different process um but yeah the the brake pedal then once you know that and you know you can and you know you can lean on it with all your force, basically. You know, it's sort of, um, I might skip an arm day, as plenty of people have noted in the, in the films, because I'm a cyclist, but because I'm a cyclist, I've got fairly you know, big legs. I can I can put a lot of pressure through yeah. that pedal, and you, you really can. You're not going to lock the brakes up um, at all, and it's an extraordinary feeling. I, I wouldn't say I've ever been the best person on the brakes. It was the thing I've always struggled with on tracks um, in terms of just it, it takes a while to for me to build up to that 
Um, and I knew sort of in the past, if it was in comparing lap times, that would be where I needed to work as well. I was always better in the wet in terms of driving wise. I've always been able to put better lap times in in the wet compared to other people mm -hmm. because equally you're not, you're not, you haven't got that outright braking force generally. Yeah. So, um, but nonetheless, I think sort of certainly got to the point where he, you know, I was definitely according to, we had a driver next to us um, the whole time. I had Danny Watts next to me um, and we were, yeah, we found the the limits of the the braking certainly into that turn one, and it, but you have to largely with him going brake wait or wait 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 now. And the first time I, I I didn't do it. You just you literally sort of can't bring yourself to brake that late to start with. So you're just you're giving yourself an extra ten meters or something like that. And somebody I noticed in the comments said sort of wow an extra twenty nine meters of braking distance doesn't sound very exciting. But yeah. First of all, I'd say sort of, and I, and I get that. I totally, I you know, I'm not taking piss because that's. I would look at that sort of figure as well sometimes, and it's you, it looks very dry on paper, or even when you say it. But all I'd say is go and pace out 29 meters for a start because it's actually quite a long distance. Um, and then consider that you're not only breaking 29 meters, you're accelerating an extra 29 meters. Yeah. Plus, you'll already be going faster at the point where the 720S would be braking anyway. So you, you're going faster, then you've got more time accelerating, and then you're braking later. So it's, it all adds up, and it, it adds up to you know, that feeling of leaning on that pedal, that you know, really firm brake pedal. And it has got good feel to it as well, particularly if you, you really have to be leaning on it. Um, but it doesn't feel like it's sort of running away from you or anything like that. Um, and it's just the most extraordinary feeling generating up to I think it's two G, um, they say in the in the braking zones, and it's it's a, it's just an extraordinary feeling. Is there not an imbalance between what you're describing to me as a as quite a a racing oriented brake in terms of the pressure required, the feedback, and the finesse at which you can use it, but then a relatively road balanced steering and uh, and handling otherwise? You you talked about kind of a, a lack of racing car drama. Um, and having light steering, not not the kind of the, the weighty feedback mm. you'd expect. Are you not feeling a slight imbalance between all your other input controls and the brake then, which does require that d different mentality than everything else? Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's absolutely fair, and it's something that I thought about at the time. It, I suppose you adapt to it. I obviously must have adapted to it fairly quickly. I think I think it would be it's one of the things I'd be very interested to try on the road then, because I think that's where you know on a racetrack you're not necessarily having to feather the brakes as much particularly around sort of Esther a lot of the time it's just it's just a big mm. stopping force you're not that i didn't notice it around the sort of pit lane stuff as being particularly difficult but but yes as you say the a porsche you know has always had this amazing ability and it's one of the things we've always noted um that the control weightings across the steering and gear lever and brake pedal clutch pedal if you've got it um throttle pedal are all absolutely sort of harmonious so mm -hmm. it, it, it feels they're all as difficult one. as each other <laughs> yeah <laughs> um similarly in a way ferrari you know very sharp throttle pedal um very spiky steering uh, so yeah there's perhaps a little bit of that and I, as i said I, for me the steering I, I would have probably liked a bit more weight in it perhaps it's just not the um yeah I, I, it might just be my memory but um i'm gonna so anyway, I think the 675LT, the steering, that felt sort of heavier, or at least sort of like I had more more feedback. It's always difficult to tell with steering feedback on a 
circuit mm. but um but yeah perhaps it did stand out a bit but so you think um on the road that that might be what throws people driving it in road conditions is that is that brake everything else feels like it's yeah ready to go on track but configured for road use except the brakes exactly yeah i think that's probably probably fair now you had it in race mode how much of that can be changed i mean it's not entirely brake by wire so how much of that can be changed in the driving modes or is that going to the brake set are going to be exactly the same across all the driving modes available i assume it's going to be the same across yeah. all modes yeah yeah i think so i don't see anything because you'd be changing race mode really is obviously drops the ride height is the main main thing that it um, it does so and obviously slackens off the esp as well and it's worth mentioning actually the esp um mode in race we obviously say we had a driver alongside us which given the relatively short time you have the car is actually very helpful if you if you've got good instructors in there you know yeah. they're gonna they're gonna help you and it's a, I'm, I'm not you know ashamed to say it's, it's, it's very good having somebody alongside you who's you know professional racing driver and has spent more time in the car and, and can help you to get the best out of it if you listen to them um sometimes you have to ignore them a little bit so you can kind of push them you know, so that they um, yeah until they know what you exactly can do. Yeah. yeah so it's a you know um but it was that was all fine um what were we talking about um we were esp, that's, ESP yeah. that's why yeah that makes sense um and the race so we didn't turn esp all the way off but it's got this race esp mode which was really really good uh, McLaren's done some fantastic sort of things with traction control before and this was another example of it to the extent that you you know you've got that safety net somewhere but if you're driving it you know not unless you're being really clumsy with it um, you can have the car decently sliding and oversteering out of some of the corners again that uphill mm. you know turn three um, whatever it is you could have it nicely oversteering just like you did in the M5 not the lock stops like you did with the M5 but um, and, you know change up halfway through the slide um, into third gear and it's still accelerating and that was really nice same out of the little chicane towards the end um, and a pretty big slide actually coming out of the double apex uh, which would be from six I suppose um, there which was um, not necessarily intentional but it's off camber on the exit yep. of that so we had a pretty big slide and um, this is without any kind of novelty drift mode like you get on the Chiron yep, no or anything drift like mode. that they, they do have the uh, was it VDC variable drift control um where you dial it center. in and you see a graphic of how yeah, sideways exactly, you want to go. I, you know, only had a brief play within the 720s and didn't really feel like it was. I just found put it in ESP track mode and it was much better to just rely I, on it. I there, feel but, largely um, that's for people who might need a bit of help, who know that they can just go in and boot it rather than knowing how to balance yeah, the possibly. throttle. I yeah, think it's I actually know. counterintuitive. If you know what you're doing, it can fight you when you don't. Like how yeah. um, traction control in general will make you lap slower if you know better than it how to mm. bounce <laughs> yeah. see this is why we're not recording video on this henry managed to just explode his water bottle all over himself um the i want to talk a bit about the 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 actual circumstance of driving the car the the the, the way it feels we, we've hinted at it already now this is a road legal car so yeah. presumably um uh, you could just hop in this in jeans and a t-shirt and drive it anywhere mm. Uh, but you were driving it with full hands uh, device, <laughs> yeah. overalls, gloves, the the lot. Um, do you feel that this is a car that that needs to be treated as a track car that's incidentally road legal, or is this truly a road car that is just going to blow people away on, on the on the track? 
So what side of that divide does it fall? Mm. Obviously, there's a more road focused in the Super Series coming, um, Ultimate Series coming. Yeah. But do, is McLaren really, is the road legality of it just paying lip service to it just to tick some boxes to make it more appealing to sell? Or is this, is that truly its real calling and it just happens to also be really fast on the road and the track? Uh, good question. Um, I think at the end of the day, I think... It, because obviously in the video I said that it was very much um, extraordinary that it was a, to think that it was a road car, given all it could do. But a lot of this, the control weightings that we've talked about, talked about, so like the steering, um, and the fact that it's not, yeah, it's got masses of NVH. It doesn't feel like a race car. That's the and yet it can do all the race car speed type things. I think it's what I'm trying to say is I think it's a it's a road car that is very impressive on track, rather than being a track car that pays lip service to being. A road car we mm -hmm. don't know that for certain until um we drive it on the road in which case it you know it it might turn out to be too much for the road too much for the road and completely you know just unusable or sort of really not very nice on the road i suppose um which would then tip it back the other way but i i don't get that impression my gut instinct is that it's it's going to feel absolutely fine as a as a road car to, mm. to drive down to the shops and to be sort of you know potter around town and then and cruise up the king's road or whatever it's going to be an absolute piece of cake basically and you've got really good visibility in it and that sort of thing yeah you've got the looking back at it looking at the in-car sort of photographs you go to the article and you see there's a picture of me um you know, looking very concentrated behind the wheel but you've got this massive great screen for a sat nav mm. right there yeah which you kind of don't notice because we turned off on the track because you don't need it you just want the minimal amount of information um and but then suddenly it's, it's right there and it's you suddenly realize yes that's it is a road car yeah. and, and it's not even something like the vulcan which is beautiful inside in a way that sort of it's quite sort of sculpted and um it's got a, a sort of beautiful race car aesthetic i suppose um this is much more of a road car the seat is yes very race car and very bucket orientated and but it's there's a lot you'd recognize from 720 s in there equally you know it's got quite a big steering wheel actually for um sort of for a track car um so yeah i, I can't see it being anything other than a um a certain very acceptable road car that you'd happily drive you know a couple of hundred miles or whatever to a to a circuit and unlike uh a radical i suppose yeah um thinking like that they do the closed and open top versions those those feel very much like circuit cars that they've managed to those are an assault sort of, on the senses if yeah, even exactly, if you just yeah, try and yeah. get out of a car park yeah and you you know you don't <coughs> undertake a journey you don't undertake a journey on the road in one of those lightly no. same with an aerolatum or something like the yeah. 3.5 r that we did a test on um yeah those are very hardcore cars and this is much more um much much more of a road car so i suppose to that extent you're looking at the sort of perhaps the, the gt3 rs um version of things in terms of that's obviously a road car yeah first and foremost that's actually then very good on track if that makes sense so mm -hmm. it's in that category of car rather than pushing it any yeah. further than that i would think well that's this the difference you talk about things like the radical or the atom those cars have that level of discomfort in order for them to achieve the speeds and performance that they can yeah but the Senna will outperform all of them, even with the road car. Probably, comfort. probably. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, radicals are 
tremendously quick. So it's um yeah. The, so they require. Do you think? Do you think that kind of car? The, do you think the Senna has been built in such a way that its potential, as high as it is, mm. is more achievable? For me, something like a Radical is requires a lot more racing driver knowledge and experience to get the absolute most out of it um and being able to read a car and 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 use the feedback from the car to get the most out of it uh, and to get over the fear of going as quickly as it can be because they yeah, are so I, loud I, and yeah intense. i think that's the that's the crucial thing because i think actually you know radicals are really good to drive and really faithful and much more friendly than they they look but you have to get over. I remember the first time I drove one. It was at the old, um, the old Anglesey circuit, which is a tiny little circuit, and uh, you said amazing turn one that went up the hill. Uh, it was pretty quick, quite short, sort of straight down to it. And I remember locking up. I missed a hill and toe into the first corner with a sequential shift, and um, locked up the rear brakes and very nearly spun it. Um, and it's that sort of thing. You know, it's just as you say, you, and you've got all this assault on the sensors, and it feels. Bit uncomfortable with hard plastic seats and it, and it doesn't and the steering is heavy and all those sorts of things and it's the intimidation factor that makes you makes it hard to get the most out of rather than actually sometimes what the you know the car can be actually pretty friendly and, and easy mm. to drive once you've got over all of that yeah. but for a lot of people that barrier will be too much and they'll never really get over the, just the the sheer intimidation of it whereas the Senna takes a lot of that away if you haven't had it sort of built up in your you know if, if you haven't had people sort of standing around going oh it's sort of oh this is the center and all these numbers and so you just got into it and you were taken through it and you i think it's yeah it's much easier to get close to the, the numbers and doesn't it doesn't intimidate you um like a lot of those other cars or like a gt4 or 3 race car uh, would um and i mean that is in the, the category not not i'm not talking about yeah a, a, a porsche um, the there's something that I wanted to uh, go in a bit more depth with you. You mentioned it in the video, and of course, if you haven't seen the video, you can find it on carfection.com or on the Carfection YouTube page, or indeed Instagram, wherever you might find your Carfection entertainment. <laughs> um, something that you mentioned that the Senna had in common with the P1, in, and that no one else has really talked about. Um, so I wanted to ask you about it in more detail. Is the front tires situation? Because okay. you, yeah. you you um, hinted at the fact that that there might be a case of it being slightly undertired at the front, not mm. having as much uh, grip there as you would have thought. Um, talk us through how you how you found that because obviously you knew what the what the tire size was getting into it, but you've driven unlike most people, you've driven the, the P1 uh, as well. So how do you feel that that tire worked on the P1 versus how it works on the Senate and why that may or may not have been the best choice in your opinion? Um, so I, I actually asked Gareth um, how about this, who's the chief test driver for McLaren because he was there um on the day and and they said yeah it's it sort of it was a conscious decision to go down that route they're aware of it obviously they are they you know they're not stupid it's not like i'm suddenly better than they are or anything it's not like that. Going, oh um, my god oh, my word why didn't, we, why didn't we get you involved in the development <laughs> of this car henry oh oh that would have been tremendous no um it's uh, but it was something i flagged up you're right when i first saw the car in the studio and you know you just have a quick look at all the tires as you do and you're like oh, okay that's you know two four five section is not not a big tire in today's performance world for a front front tire um and that flagged up some things remembering driving p1 and it was always a case that p1 had all this downforce uh even p1 gtr in fact um again particularly at the rear um 
and bear in mind that the front splitter on this is much bigger than a p1 gtrs in fact so it should have more front downforce but it just always felt like particularly through long steady state corners that's where you were pushing against the front tire so it's it just wanted to understeer so this is a you know a corner where you can't trail break into it and really lean on the the front and get the tire pushed into the tarmac and working really hard as you couldn't say t- turn one that's fine because you're hard on the brakes and you're really it's trying to break deep well. into the yeah. break deep to the apex and get the um front dug into the track like that but through something like i don't know the uh the short chicane where you're you've got a direction change halfway through but you're not breaking halfway through that chicane or the long parabolica uh turn 11 at Estoril, where again you come out another corner and you're not really breaking into it it's just a direction change and then just a long steady state corner where you're just waiting for you you're literally against that you're pushing against the limits of the front tire and it always feels like you are just pushing against the limits of the front tire you're not going to overcome you know if you if you get on the throttle to try and overcome that it's just going to understand because you've got more traction at the rear um or that's that's where the, the balance is and, and that was apparently quite a late decision in the setup of the car to sort of um to really go down that route um still and, and give it that extra traction at the rear um and it's it's sort of hard to criticize it because again if you're making this car something whereby you're not going to have the intimidation factor for people getting into it and trying to achieve sort of you know race car types of speed um round a track but without the race car intimidation then yes fine put that tire on there because there's that slight sort of safety net through those long corners rather than it feeling twitchy and on edge and having to you know deal with oversteer um and a car that's but for me if if it was my car and i was spending seven hundred twenty five thousand pounds on it i would want that extra front balance because if i can get there within the 12 laps and think right that's that's where it is it then just it does just feel a bit bit frustrating to me but equally i understand yeah well i've done it if that if that no no so do, do you feel then that this is that limit where they can build a car that can do better in terms of performance but at that point they are missing their target audience potentially yeah yeah and i mean it'd be great to see what it's like on slicks see if that made any Made any difference um and as i say it's it's a specific type of corner so don't get the impression that every corner you come to it's just an understeering mess or something something like that no this it's, is at the not, absolute is, edges is, of, is that the yeah. at the limit it's in certain corners where you have certain parameters um so yeah like i say any corner that you can go into and you can um brake deep and get the car rotating which you can um on the brakes and then straighten it up and then you'll be on the throttle and you can have it oversteering and all that so it's a it feel it's nitpicking in mm. some ways yeah but equally you feel it through certain turns so i'm gonna gonna talk about it i suppose i think it's it's i mean it's it's worth mentioning again that the, the a lot of people's coverage of the car they they, they were quite wide in, in in who got uh access to this for the press drives in from top tier journalists all the way down to even video game journalists were out driving it and mm. i think that a lot of people have been giving their impressions of it and it has bowled over a lot of people and frankly i uh, and it is a great car like from from mm. everyone but i think the kind of that level of 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 nuance of being able to experience it, i think that comes down to experience and having and being able to push a car to the limit and that comes back to that intimidation factor that people mm. who are getting and this would be me if i'm putting on the racing suit the hands device 
the the little McLaren booties that I saw that they were the, the, yeah, the I didn't I took my own stuff out oh uh, <laughs> yeah I would have brought hey, my I own wanted, racing I wanted, booties I wanted, as well. I, wanted, I wanted stuff that I knew I was going to fit into <laughs> one less thing to think about you don't well, want to walk out with sort of you know end up with the sizes wrong and you know, well there's like that. wearing clown shoes and you don't know what state the person was in when they last <laughs> wore that <laughs> and how intimidated they were by the car and what they may have left behind in the suit and or shoes um, <clears throat> but that would be me that getting <clears throat> pardon me i should have drunk more water before this um getting into that car having the 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 hand system everything there's an intimidation there and then also you know every unless you were driving it at 50 miles an hour you you'd have to have a, the racing instructor with you even even you did as well to help mm. you help you through it and having that person next to you especially if you're trying <laughs> to describe to people what it's like it takes quite a bit of experience to have the confidence to push it to the edge of front grip <laughs> front yeah, front grip on the tires to to be able to experience that so yet another reason why carfection is the best place to come to not only <laughs> not only for the best looking video content but for the, oh, the I was going to say best looking presenters but best looking presenters <laughs> who not at all look old and haggard at any point in time as um, george said earlier uh, yeah slight insight there's uh one of our video producers george may have insinuated that uh henry looked a bit old in one of the videos was really yeah it's only because he's 20 20 yeah. years old honestly well that's that's a discussion for many uh, many another day yeah, um so. but yeah the intimidation factor of uh, uh of the car is high but in your esteemed opinion actually once you get to grips with it um it's yeah really i mean the, the, don't, as i said the, the the speed that it generates um and the forces it breaks under braking and still the cornering forces you know through the high-speed corners and things like that it's very very serious and to be honest you know i i don't think i could have done my commentary pieces to camera on completely flat out laps yeah because it's sort of um a bit like the sheer on same sort of deal which obviously we've got a video of that coming again t you can drive to a percentage of flat out and talk to camera i do not have the um, ability to certainly in that sort of scenario sort of where you, you you're not that familiar with the car yet um to talk to camera and, and express all the things you're trying to think about and say something half you know cogent so that people understand what you're going on about and drive the car flat out at the same time so it's you know it, it, <laughs> criticisms at this level are, are you know like i say they're they're nitpicking really um yeah but it's um uh it's a it's a very serious bit of kit um, that car well here's the 750,000 pound question if you had that money in your back burner ready to go on a car <laughs> that was road legal um and would entertain you out on track is this what you would go for is this is this definitely at the very least on a short list um and if not maybe your your go-to choice what might be or what might come a, a second to this what kind of ballpark uh, is it in for me no uh, and this is something that uh, you know I, i'm in the hugely fortunate position of having driven lots and lots of things over the years and i think the more things you drive the more picky you become in terms of, course, of the actual yeah. cars that you would really like and what gives you a, a personally gives you a, a kick and you think that's absolutely brilliant downforce per se is not something that really it, it's extraordinary to feel it in some some cars but it's it's not really what flicks my switch and mm -hmm. the center is undoubtedly a lot about you know downforce and those sorts of things yeah. um so I, i'm probably i'm not really the the target audience if that makes sense i for me of the mclaren range the, the car that still 
Um, I, I, I like the most that they currently produce. I mean, the 675 LT was the, the best one I still think they've produced um, just for what I enjoy and the sort of the playful attitude of the car and, and the cracks on the upshifts and the stuff like that. The current one produces 570S Spider, really, I think is still the best one. And I like, you know, having driven that on track, I drove that at Goodwood um, before and I personally like the way that behaves on a track in terms of it's actually quite loose at the rear, not mm-hmm. in the way that the 12C was, but just you can you turn it on the brakes and you feel it yeah. rotate and you get it pointing to the corner which you know it's got much more roll and um and, and dive under braking than something like the center has and but it i like that feeling in a car and i know it's not going to have anything like the ultimate lap time of the center but just for me that that is what mm-hmm. i like in a car so i suppose that's that makes sense it's no not, it's not really answering your question because no, it's, 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 it, but i'm saying i'm not you could really have the two customer or three of those for, yeah i'm not really the customer for this this car but i think the well, people that want to go on track and like the idea of going on track and there are obviously a lot of them because these sorts of cars yeah this is it's going to appeal to a lot of people because people haven't been able to buy things like p1 gtr or the um i don't know the fxx um, ferraris or the vulcans and things like that and this feels like a sort of certainly a big step towards those cars but with a 500 car run yeah which like i said is still limited edition and all that but it's, it's many more than those so yeah there are obviously a lot of people out there that don't necessarily want to go racing and don't want that intimidation and don't want to go to a test day where they feel like they're mm. up against lots of really noisy intimidating cars and potentially gonna have to sit on a grid and go racing and all that competition stuff but just want the feeling of going really fast and experiencing downforce Again, without having the, you know, being able to feel what it's like to smash a brake pedal, you know, towards the bulkhead really late into a corner. But again, without having to necessarily be off put by the, you know, having to set up brake bias and not having a proper ESP system to help them out and all those sorts of things. It's a gateway. Some people might decide that, yeah, they, after doing half a dozen track days, that, yeah, they don't like the way the front tire feels or something like that. Or this is great. I love this speed. I can now cope with this. I feel like I've got my brain around these sorts of cornering speeds and this sort of braking. I want to go racing. Mm. And that's brilliant. That's If this car gives people that sort of feeling and, and feels like a stepping stone, which I, th- I think to a lot of people, perhaps it perhaps it might. And that's that's what's really clever, I think, about this car. And if you don't like that, well, you've still got a road car as well. Yeah, yeah you can you can drive it to track and try it. And, then, and you'll draw a lot of attention. Exactly. You've still got a cool-looking i think in some ways probably or certainly very arresting yes. looking car arresting is the right word um, yeah. with all these cool numbers attached to it that you can drive on the road so you haven't just bought something that has to be kept in a garage at a track so that's what's that's what's really clever about mm. it i think it is it is the most extreme looking road car mclaren have made to mm. date it, it is exceptionally yeah. striking in a, in a, in, yeah. a, in an age where everything feels like it's kind of all following a similar pattern this is like does that and then takes a slashing knife to it and yeah. cuts and i and i admire them for doing that it's, it's really good to see somebody not just playing to the playing to the crowd as it were well there is uh, a full video of henry driving that car at esteril and giving his driving impressions um on carfection.com and on the youtube page and for those of you who really can't get enough there's an extra video a carfection plus on the youtube channel where henry goes into a little bit more detail about what's under the the well delightfully brutal skin of i the, lift things up you lift things up which even with my skinny arms i lift things even up. with henry's pencil thin arms <laughs> 
uh, was possible just due to the entire weight saving of the car. Um, those For those alone, I encourage you to check out the uh, YouTube page, subscribe and hit the bell icon, which will help you keep informed about everything coming up uh, as we publish it. Um, there's just enough time to go into a couple more things. Uh, this week has been the unveil of the Aston Martin DBS, the resurrection of a fairly classic uh, n- title, the DBS for Aston Martin, which we've seen uh, a couple of times before, now uh, on the car built off of the DB11 platform. Mm-hmm. Um, you went to see it last night in the metal. Uh, what do you think? Uh, it's good. It's, um, I was never a fan of the previous DBS, which is off the DB9. Yeah. Um, and I just thought the previous one looked a bit like really it just it got some sills and a it just didn't look particularly that one was featured in in james bond wasn't it was it? yeah so yeah. the previous dbs's so interesting so the previous dbs's have always been featured in james bond i think uh so on her majesty's secret service was the original one with the george yeah. lazenby uh film and then it was casino royale I think, daniel craig it? and yeah. quantum of solace in fact right at the beginning of that because it was mark higgins driving yeah, um, driving some of the cars. Um, was it the car that got flipped at Millbrook? Yes, exactly. For, yeah, which every motion jealous That's Millbrook. Yeah, and Millbrook is so. Millbrook Proving Ground is a, a well world famous location for testing ground. It's almost the Alpine circuit there is almost <laughs> like our mini Nurburgring. Oh, it's been um, so many days. And now. there's yeah, it, if you're a, a British motoring journalist, you will have spent m- many many days going around that track. Um, so for everyone, when it's meant to be what Montenegro. And yes. then all of a sudden it yeah. cuts to Millbrook. <laughs> um, in England, we all spotted that immediately where that beautiful car was written off. The, that DBS, that was actually the first Aston Martin that I ever drove. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah when, that, when, when we were just starting out on our car content, uh, that was the first time we got hold of a, a DBS and we went to town on it, which was uh, brilliant fun. But this new car... I mean, Hang on, just, just a second, because I've, I've got the, um, the press release here, which I um, downloaded last night to do the do the video right on um i've just given away when recording instead of my um no that's okay you can really, <laughs> today we're recording this on the wednesday but you by the time smoke you listen to this it will be friday smoke and mirrors is tony simpson would say um so the, the very last line in fact it talks about um the fact that um adding to the mystique that surrounds the name both first and second generation dbs's have appeared in james bond movies the original being used by George Lazenby in the 1969 film On Her Majesty's Secret Service, um, DBS in 2008, Casino Royale, and 2008's Quantum Solace, alongside Daniel Craig. And this is the interesting line. Now with the introduction of the all-new DBS Superleggera, one of Aston Martin's most charismatic and highest-performing models is making a welcome return. Now, to me, at the end of every Bond film, you always had Bond James will Bond will return. Yeah. So I didn't know if that was a subtle kind of reference to the fact that there is obviously going to be one more, at least one more Daniel Craig, yeah. James Bond film. Does that mean the DBS is going to be um, the car for that film? Well, Aston Martin have had that tie-in with the Bond films pretty much. Well, no, no. They had it early on. Obviously, it was Aston Martin for a long time through mm. Goldfinger with the DB5. Yep. And then BMW kind of took over in the 90s for a while. Uh, Well, they had the Z8, which was a gorgeous car. Absolutely, yeah. Um, And they had the very cool 7 Series with the the, remote control. control, Yeah. yeah. Uh, But then, obviously, with the Daniel Craig era, it came back in with the DBS and also featured the DB5 again in Skyfall. And, of course, originally, James Bond in the books drove a... Bentley. Exactly. I know, I know. Which was exactly (laughs) the point I was getting to. But, yeah, so... uh, I just gave you a chance to show off your knowledge. Oh, yeah, well, there you go. The... um, 
yes, the, if there is going to be another Daniel Craig Bond film, which I think is completely confirmed now, yeah. um, he will have a car in it at some point. You know, it's almost unavoidable. Mm. I mean, previous this is the, the, always this crazy thing is that James Bond is meant to be an, uh, a spy trying to be <laughs> secretive and unnoticed driving his previous Bond car the one-off DB10, the only one <laughs> yeah. in the world that presumably in this world no one has seen yet. Um, at least the van- Vanquish, they made it that it could Vanished, go invisible, yeah. so that had some credibility to it. But I say credibility in large quotation marks there. But yes, the 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 DBS, uh, which I guess is is as much an evolution as what the Vanquish was before, and the 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 DBS that kind of super GT mm. styling. Uh, yeah, I'd like to see that in a Bond film, just because. And, you know, it, it yeah. makes sense. Seamaster yeah, watches and and yeah. Aston Martins, they're Just fitting. Fit somehow, yeah. But um, this is the first. I would say not the first car. It is the best looking incarnation of cars on this DB11 platform yeah. for me. Yeah. The Vantage was a big step forward. I was mm-hmm. reserved about the looks of the DB11 when mm-hmm. it came out. Um, I. I um, I didn't really feel that the the legacy of kind of the DB7 and the DB9 uh, of um, Ian Callum's design, they hadn't really either departed from it enough or mm. kept enough from it to feel like a continuation. Yeah. Um, so Marek Reichman is you know, now hitting up the design team there and, and it, it didn't feel as much of a bold new statement. There was a lot of nice little changes to it, but yeah. it, it felt kind of halfway house between something completely new and something that, that mm. was based off the older designs. But, and the Vantage did a lot, did a lot to kind of overcome that a bit. Like yeah. the smaller platform looked better, but this looks great. This looks closer to some of the, like the high-end concept cars that they put out. It's yeah. that smoothness of, yeah. of the lines, the kind of the, the chunky... You, you, chunky aggression. Yeah, like, mu- muscular. As quite a, yeah, the, exactly. The sort of the muscular nature that the um, that Vanquish had, sort of the original Vanquish yeah. um, had, the one that went out of production in whatever it was, 2006 six seven um sort of the last to be built yeah. at newport pagnell um which i think is still a fantastic looking car and i think this this has a lot of that about it the one thing i wish they wouldn't keep doing which they've obviously done with db11 is is painting the roof black to make it look like it which means ends up looking like a volante and yes yeah. they had the carbon rails on it but i i just think it, can you spec it without that can you yeah, spec yeah, it i'm body sure you color? can yeah yeah um or, or at least just in that case get the whole car black so it looks cohesive yeah um but um yeah i'm sure you can yeah. yeah, I love that front grille. Usually, I find oversized front grills like that a little bit uh, irking. Like you get yeah. that kind of basking shark feel to it, but this just feels apt. It feels proportioned. Yeah. It feels if it, it, it looks it looks the part. I mean, yeah. it's the the performance isn't going to. How does the performance uh, on paper line up against the Vantage? So inter because it's 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 uh, it's not to be as sporty as the Vantage, but no. Like, but performance wise, I mean. I think the trouble is they're always going to be slightly traction limited. So off the line, uh, they're claiming 0.62 and 3.4 seconds, which is pretty much there or thereabouts for what they claim for the Vantage, really. So it's not for the given it's got 715 brake horsepower, um, it's not a huge change there. Um, but it's 0 to 100 is 6.2, I think, seconds. So yeah, they're they're going down the line of all it all being about the torque you know 664 pounds sort of torque i think it's got and at 1800 rpm well you can't get all that torque in the first two gears because otherwise the gearbox would um throw something of a, a hissy fit and um, it's um 
the ZF eight speed gearbox. Yeah, yeah. strengthened yeah. and it's mated to a mechanical limb slip diff at the rear. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I don't think it's they very much wanted to try and distance it from its natural rival as you see it, which would be a Ferrari eight twelve, um, which they sort of cheekily sort of started referring to as being a bit more sort of flighty and edgy and stuff, which it is. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's not that sort of comfortable you know continent crusher really car that it's it's much more of a performance gt or performance front engined rear drive car than i think the vanquish vanquish i'll call it that dbs superleggera um will end up being so they've probably quite sensibly not or tried to not go head to head with the um, ferrari or at least if they're going head to head then offering a different proposition to that car sort of or significantly different proposition so that it it can be um seen in different light having said that there's i th- so it was the 50 to 100 mile an hour time, which was 4.2 seconds, I think. Uh, which, which is a I weird kind heard, of stat. You don't yeah, see that exactly. being quoted very but often. But obviously what they've done there is taken out that you know, limiting, and it's yeah. fourth gear at that point. So which fourth gear. For a GT car, is actually a more relevant metric of speed. Exactly, yes. And they're saying that over that speed increment of 50 to 100 miles an hour, it's a second quicker than an 812, so because of all the, the talk, so the monstrous talk. Well, we'll get the drive later in the year, presumably, yep. and we'll get to, to share with you exactly whether it drives as well as it looks. Uh, personally, for me, my absolute favorite bit of it is the Superleggera badge on the bonnet, which uh, the DB5 had as well yeah. from Carrozzeria Touring Superleggera, who are the coach builders for that. Uh, so s- make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel and keep an eye on carfection.com. Uh, in the coming weeks and months for more content on that car and from a car that we definitely will get to drive to one that we almost certainly will not <laughs> uh there's been news from pike's peak yeah i just just quickly wanted to touch on on this um we had the the idr pike's peak volkswagen chat sort of a, a few weeks ago and i said that i wasn't really that interested in it because they were just going for the electric record which was uh for memory 857 i think um and then you know, it's like, well, why aren't they going for the full-on, you know, it's, it's not the full-on low record with all the money and stuff they're putting into it. I'm not very interested. Well, lo and behold, they go and do a 757, um, smashing, you know, 15 seconds off Loeb's um, outright record up Pike's Peak and being, you know, the first first car to break that eight-minute barrier. Um, so, yeah, it's extraordinary. And it wasn't a perfect run either. So there was, the weather wasn't brilliant. It was certainly uh, Roman Dumas, uh, was visibility limited um, to some extent towards the top, and because I think there was mist that rolled in, he was struggling. Or they, the temperature, which might have actually helped the batteries a little bit, which we'll get onto in a second, but certainly didn't help things like tire temperature. And he had more understeer than he'd experienced in the the practice sessions when you get to practice different mm. segments of the climb earlier in the week. Uh, so yeah, it, it probably wasn't an ultimate. Uh, on a, on a sort of run time. that long, though, it's hard to get a perfect run in any condition. Yeah, right? although I think Persia would probably say that Loeb got pretty much a perfect run in terms of conditions and sort of what they thought they could do and with st- that car. So and and still, Roman Dumais knocked fifteen, yeah, seconds, 15 off seconds off the time. Off the time so, so, it's, so it's considerable how much engineering has come on in a very short yeah. amount of time. Well, they're saying now that any car that wants to break the record will have to be electric basically we're, that's getting, we're getting to that stage well yeah. did we, we talked about it previously but the altitude there kind of puts a limiting factor on yeah, internal combustion like engines 20 to 30 percent off it by the sort of in the top yeah. section doesn't it so. obviously the thinness of air will provide less oxygen for the engine which is not an issue for um electric cars no interestingly the so the battery tech they're saying is obviously very much next next generation in this car um 
one of the tricky things with batteries is obviously keeping them cool. Uh, they didn't go down a water cooling system on the car. They they relied on an air cool system for these batteries. Which is then counterintuitive because there's less air to do that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and they didn't actually know whether it was going to really work because they can't do that full run until you actually do the full run. Yeah. Um, they didn't know if it was going to last the length of time they needed it to last. And so it was. there was a certain amount of um, you know, hoping and, and finger-crossing, I think. Uh, well, from the, the VW team. I think there was other aspects which they were r- relying on, not a bit of luck, but that their calculations were accurate, including the um, battery regeneration. The car didn't start the run with enough battery power to get to the top. It had really? to generate a lot of it under energy recovery on the braking, yeah. which meant they had less batteries, which meant less weight. So they could, uh, they would be able to make it to the end by the power generated on the way up, yeah, which is just... Which is just phenomenal. But well done to uh, uh, Volkswagen for that incredible I, feat I st- of engineering. I have to say, every time I see pipes picking, I do still slightly bemoan the fact that it's it's all tarmac all the way up. And I know that it's, you know... There's always great YouTube videos of watching there all is, the cars on gravel stages. And then climb dance and all that stuff. And then, but, um, but yeah, it's a different, different beast, isn't it, I suppose? So. Completely. And we'll probably go into a bit more detail about that on the next episode of Carfection for the Love of Cars podcast, or as we call it, and we'd love you to call it as well, Footlock, because it's shorter. Um, we'll be back next week with a full episode, which will be the extended version of what will go out on YouTube. Remember, you can find us on YouTube, look for Carfection, or indeed come to carfection.com, where in addition to the uh, videos that are also on YouTube, you can also find our galleries and the great write-ups. Recently, Henry did one for us on the um mclaren senna uh again if you want to get every piece of detailed information you can there's another place to go and get a few more insights uh if you'd like to follow henry on twitter and instagram at henry catchpole if you'd like to follow me i'm at drew stern and remember at carfection on twitter and at carfection films on instagram is where you can find us there for now thank you very much for listening and subscribing to the podcast and we'll speak to you again next week Cheerio.